the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We all, since 9-11, have become alarmingly aware of uh, what is going on in the Muslim world, particularly on the fundamentalist end of things. Um, And as much as we're concerned about the threat to America's safety and security, the American way of life, imagine what people living underneath the oppressiveness of Islam is like in the Middle East. Most difficultly, we have seen many of these stories of women who have been charged under Sharia law courts and have received multiple lashings, uh, situations in countries in the Middle East where women are denied what we consider to be pedestrian of the basic human rights, the opportunity to uh, uh, drive a car, be involved in the electric process, even in some cases receive a basic education. The need, of course, ultimately is to share the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ with these women. And joining me right now is a lady who's done just that, working with her husband as a missionary in the Middle East for almost a decade. Um, They, in fact, to this day, remain actively involved in reaching the unreached people in the Middle East and around the world, bringing the gospel to Muslim women. And Audra Shelby with us on the program tonight. Audra, thanks so much for taking time to join us. Audra, uh, Craig, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. You have written a book, detailing your experiences behind the veils of Yemen. And, of course, we've heard some uh, news in recent months here with Yemen once again back in the news. Uh, We hear at at, at fleeting chances the opportunity for stories about life for people living behind the Islamic curtain, so to speak, particularly difficult so for women. That's right. And I've been blessed with being able to tell my story and getting behind the veils and visiting and getting into the lives, sharing the lives of these women. Tell us a bit about your experiences. Give us a bit of a a perspective, if you would. When we hear stories about, well, in certain countries, women are not allowed to vote. Other places, they can't drive. Uh, Women are not allowed to be seen in the company of other men unless it's an immediate relative. Uh, Can't go to school. We think of the stories that came out of Afghanistan and the tail end of the regime of the Taliban. Are the levels of extremism, of the lack of rights that women have behind the Islamic curtain, behind the veil, uh, that severe? Uh, It depends on the country and and the area of the country. In Yemen, women did have the right to vote, and they were allowed to drive, but it all depended on permission of their husbands and support of their husbands. They were always subject to their husbands. Um, I had friends that were not allowed to go to the market or go out in, in the afternoons. They were required to stay indoors unless their husband gave them permission to leave. 
So you would, I did not know of a woman that was publicly uh, punished like you hear in Afghanistan or in some of the other countries, but I knew women that were beaten by their husbands and who could not uh, go out and visit other women because their husbands were too afraid they would run into a man. And then this justified based on Islamic teaching and Sharia law, but in reality what? Just a, a thin excuse for, for uh, male chauvinism uh, on, on steroids? Possibly. I think we have to understand, too, that women, for a woman to go into paradise, a lot of it is based on how well she obeys her husband and how well she raises good Muslim sons. So it's more than just what her husband requires. It's what she feels like she must do in order to achieve paradise. So there's a sense of religious duty behind a lot of this. Yes, there is. And for the average Islamic woman, uh, let's talk your, your directly to your experience in, in Yemen. Give us a thumbnail sketch. What's, what's life like for a woman? Well, let me take you to a bride, okay, who's, who's very excited about the three days of her wedding. She's going to be feted and celebrated by the other women. Ceremony will take place between her husband and her father. She does not attend the actual ceremony at the mosque. She is, for three days... Her hair is done, and she's so excited, and girls look forward to the day that they're going to leave their father's dominion and have a home, and they dream of the love that they're going to get from their husbands. They're full of romantic dreams. Now let's flash forward a year later and see this same girl and who has no dreams in her eyes, and I tell about this in Behind the Veils of Yemen, meeting a girl who was just... You could see she'd become so disillusioned and so unhappy a year later, realizing she'd only left her father's dominion for her husband's dominion. Well, talk about a stark contrast against the the Western ideal, where women are involved in planning every detail uh, of the wedding and the ceremony and uh, the experience, uh, you know, that everyone will enjoy there at the wedding and, of course, the following reception. And and you're telling me in some Islamic countries the women are not even invited to their own wedding. (laughs) Well, it's, it's a very different scenario. The women have these big parties where they get together for about three days. There's three days generally. Um, and each day the, the bride wears a different color. And then the third day, the white day, she wears a white wedding gown just like you would find here. And she has this big party and the women are all treating her like a princess. She sits on a special chair like a throne. And then after the actual wedding ceremony takes place between her husband and or her future groom and her father, then because the, the men are all partying separately, the, her husband and the men come in this great convoy of honking horns, and they come to pick up the bride and take her to her new home, to her husband's home, um, a lot of times with his family. And that's how her married life begins. And so it begins with uh, great excitement and anticipation, and, and sadly sounds like after a while it ends up being uh, as an oppressive atmosphere at home with her new husband as maybe she had to deal with at home with her parents. Yes. Yes, and a lot of times I think that's the way it worked, works out in what I've seen among the women. Let's pause for a moment. We'll come back to our conversation. Audra Shelby with us today. She's author of Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
We're talking with Andra Shelby, which, by the way, is not her real name. We're just kind of helping to protect her anonymity because uh, she has, for over a decade, been involved in sharing the good news of the gospel with Muslim women. She has a new book out called Behind the Veils of Yemen, How an American Woman Risked Her Life, Family, and Faith to Bring Jesus to Muslim Women. Andra, when we think of the level of oppression within Islamic society, particularly in the Middle East, and Sharia law, and so on and so forth, and a lot of this both religious and cultural. Um, clearly, uh, life is pretty mundane and pretty oppressive for women. I would suspect that into that atmosphere, interjecting the good news of Jesus Christ must have been, I would imagine, regarded as a, a tremendous hope for these women. Wouldn't it be? Well, you would think that. Now, even as poor and as, as needy as the women were, they looked on me as an infidel and as inferior to them. And so even at the beginning, they have been told, a lot of them are illiterate, 98% of Yemeni women out in villages are illiterate, don't know how to read or write or add or subtract. So all they know about their religion is what they have been told, and all they know about Christianity is what they've been told, or what they've seen in American films. So their concept of American women are that we are immoral, corrupt women who sleep around and don't love our children. So when I would see them and they would meet me or meet a Christian face-to-face for the first time, they were totally stunned that I wasn't who I was supposed to be, that I was very different from what they had been told. So it wasn't this hunger to know. It was at first a disdainful attitude and then to realize, wait, you're not the person that that you're supposed to be, and then wanting to know what the difference was, why I wasn't that person, and then seeing a strength in me. So many of my friends, and I tell about instances in Behind the Veils of Yemen where they would say, Antikawia, you're you're strong, wanting to know why. Why wasn't I afraid to ride in a taxi where there was a man? Why wasn't I afraid of being sick and and dying? Um, And that opened avenues to share with them. Uh, why I wasn't afraid, because I walked with Jesus. So you really had to initially move from dispelling a lot of the misconceptions that no doubt are very much played up in Islamic media and uh, certainly by the imams in mosque and the men and so on and so forth to paint this very negative, vile picture of what Western women are all about. So you overcome that, that misconception. And then, in that process, I mean, I would imagine, as we regard and see the teachings of the the uh, the God small g of Allah within the Quran and the Hadith, to be this ruthless, bloodthirsty, fearful, uh, vengeful deity, and then contrast that against the God of the Bible, who sacrifices His very own Son for forgiveness and reconciliation to the creation. I mean, you look at those two major differences between Allah of the Quran and the God of the Bible, and I would imagine that once they begin to see and, and grasp some level of the stark contrast between the two, that must be eye-opening for them. It is. It's a slow process because they have to see it in me first because they are so um, they're so prepared, they're so keyed to the Bible being corrupt, that they don't want to hear anything from my book. It's corrupted. They don't believe in my my Jesus of the New Testament because they have been told that all of it is lies. So at first, actually, they don't even want to hear it. And it's seeing something different in me and seeing the love and actually trying to almost 
sponge it out of me, squeeze it from me to fill their lives, that's what really helps them see something's missing. There's something I have that they don't. Um, and seeing the limits of their religion when they're in, in total despair um, and wanting what I have in mind, that has been more opening in their lives than just trying to, to share um, the truth of Scripture. I'm not saying not sharing the truth of Scripture, but I'm saying using it in everyday life, using it constant as my reasons for why. Uh, why I believe, why I'm strong, why I'm not afraid, why I love, why my husband loves me and is my friend, not my owner. In the end, give me kind of your um, your valuation of your experience there in Yemen for almost a decade. Well, it was it was a wonderful time. It was probably the most challenging time of my life. It was sweet in its dependence on the Lord and and seeing Him and knowing Him in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. It was, uh, I I felt constantly drained just by the need of the women. I I felt stretched to meet the needs, the emotional needs, the spiritual needs, the mental needs, even physical needs. Um, But it was such a, a rewarding time to know what it means to realize my strength is limited, but Christ's is not, that he is everything he says he is and is everything that I need and more than enough to meet any need. And and it it was a wonderful time of learning and growing in me, which I think in Behind the Veils of Yemen, I think I grew as much as the women that I met grew in in my ministering to them. In that sense, did it also, in your experience, draw you closer to the Lord? Um, particularly as you're seeing the, the major contrast, not just between uh, Western society and Middle Eastern society, but two, the major differences between the, the teachings of what is the, the lie of Islam and the truth of the gospel? Absolutely. I mean, we, we never lived in Yemen that there wasn't a travel warning against being there. And you had I had to come face to face with who God is and walk totally by faith and totally dependent on Him for survival for safety, for security, and it was it was a sweet dependence in seeing him and knowing that you are totally reliant on him. I mean, his grace is sufficient; his power is made perfect in weakness. And it was a it was a wonderful blessing to be able to experience that without the comforts that sometimes distract us from knowing him. During that time, um, I would assume, Audra, that you had an opportunity to lead some of these women to Christ, even if it was done kind of uh, uh, quietly and surreptitiously? Yes, yes, I was. I was able to share Scripture. I was able to share my faith. I was able to share the story of Jesus uh, with women many times, just in answering to their question. Um, and it was, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see women that have so much need to be loved and to be valued and have so many dreams of their own that will never be fulfilled by their religion to see and to have hope in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, uh, how startling the change, the contrast in their life? Well, you have to remember that it is a startling change internally and and spiritually, but then they face um, reality. It's against the law for a Yemeni person, man or woman, to convert out of Islam. It is punishable by death, usually instigated by a family member. 
and we knew several people that were turned over to authorities by their own family, by their father, by their brother, by their husband, or by a wife. And then they go on severe persecution and torture in an effort to make them recant the Christian faith. So uh, women in Yemen especially are very, and men, it's a very social culture. Everything they do is communal. And to be cut off and shut off from their people, from their families, from their home is devastating. It's a real challenge to, uh, for them as they adapt and grow in their Christian faith to realize they've lost everything to follow Jesus. Clearly a, a, a very sad and oppressive uh, culture and, and religion, and yet one that, in spite of all of that, uh, can receive great freedom that comes through the saving knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. Audra, we appreciate your time. Folks can get more information about this new book, Behind the Veils of Yemen by Audra Grace Shelby, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Those still exist, don't they, Richard? One or two, I think, yeah. <laughs> One. <laughs> and, of course, through Amazon.com. The book published by Chosen, again, Behind the Veils of Yemen. Our special guest today, Audra Grace Shelby. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You are driving home, no doubt, lots of hustle and bustle and traffic all around you at the moment, but I want you to kind of focus for a moment, if you would. Picture your most idyllic spot to escape to. Maybe it's a small mountain cabin overlooking sun-kissed lake by summer and snow-capped mountains by winter. Perhaps a Spanish-style home with red-tile roof looking out onto the Great Plains with wild horses roaming about. Yours could be a waterfront view from a private beach surrounded by seagulls, waterfowl of every description, and the occasional passing fisherman. Now imagine for a moment such a spot, not just a getaway or a dream spot that you would hope to someday visit, if not read about, but rather a place you call home. Susan Walters calls such a place home, and we find out why inside the pages of a new book called At the End of the Ferry. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I must tell you, for most readers, no doubt, they look at your book and they begin to get drawn into the pages of your day-to-day life experience and must think, you know, this is either the fulfillment of a retirement dream or a lottery <laughs> winning. <laughs> oh, it's just pretty special. You have spent your life as a professional writer. You were in the real estate world for quite a number of years. You've been in the hustle and bustle of, of big towns with big yes. names that we would all recognize. Yes. And now you've been able to kind of unplug from all of that and, in many respects, not just see nature for what it is, but I think at the same token, see God for who he is in all of this. And I have to wonder, as as your story tonight unfolds, first and foremost, people think about the quietness of the sea and watching the sunset and hearing the sound of the seagulls as they fly in and out and, and whatnot and have to wonder, well, wait a minute now. How in the madness of this day and age that we live in do you unplug from the clutter of the Internet, cell phone, text messages, and 55-inch widescreen TVs? Is this really possible? (laughs) It really is possible, and it's truly a dream come true for me. And I was a big city girl for a long time, and we live in a small town. We still do big city things and have responsibilities, and... It's a smell, a noise, a sound. It's really touching nature and, like you said, getting in touch and being still and being closer to to the Lord. It's very, very special. 
Your book, At the End of the Ferry, really walks us through day-to-day life in your home that has, in so many respects, almost served as a magnifying glass to the wonder of the simplicity of life. What's that experience like on a day-to-day basis? It is truly a joy, you know, when you have not, for 17 years, 17 summers, I had not gone barefoot. You know, I mean, you know, you get, like you said, into the hustle and bustle of life, and it's nice to take your eyes off of the computer screen and just focus on what's outside and just the random acts of, I would say random and deliberate acts of the Lord and what He shows you through nature and wildlife and gardens and just a small northwest town. Give us the snapshot if you can. You're you're up there in the Pacific Northwest, Puget Sound area for those that might be familiar. Maybe some people have had an opportunity to, to head up and visit the San Juan Islands. It's a spectacular part of the upper portion of the west coast of the United States. Mm. But your, your little hamlet there, tell us a bit about it. Paint the picture. Well, it is um, 90 feet of waterfront on the Puget Sound, and it is woodlands garden and just nature i mean we even had a bear in our yard but you know i mean we're close to town but you get the wildlife and the nature and we have eagles and they eat off of a stump in our yard and we have surprises every day it's calming it's peaceful it's also wildlife i mean there's there's some wild things happening too so um it's just fun taking in the oysters the clams the salmon you know we cook what we grow we can get clams right off our beach and it's just really a special special place your place and the experiences that you share inside the pages of at the end of the ferry strike me as as being celebratory of the the finer things in life uh, being surprised by god as you say in so many delightful ways and i for the benefit of listeners there are paragraphs where susan talks about what happens when a seagull lands on your porch now for most suburbanites susan we wouldn't know it if a bus crashed through the living room and yet you were able to stop for a moment freeze a snapshot in time and stop and i would imagine just look at the wonder of the behavior and i have to think for a moment as you're surrounded by all of this beauty of god's creation How can you but not stop and say, wow, God, what a wonderful, awesome God you are? It truly does make you be in awe. Just to be still and pay attention and have seeing eyes and touching, I feel very, very fortunate. I highly recommend people wherever they live just get in tune to what's what's out there around them. It could be a yellow jacket that falls asleep in a foxglove, you know. Um, it could be a chipmunk, you know, the tree trunk traffic. It's a joy to just pay attention to. I just think these are gifts from God to us. Has this been a life-changing experience in the sense that getting away from the hustle and bustle of the noise and the traffic and being able to, again, realize that the big traffic jam is that the squirrel had to stop to let the snake (laughs) slither by, and it took all of 10 minutes to transpire. I mean, I I realize not all of us can have kind of the on Golden Pond experience. I I remember that one scene, you probably recall if you saw the film with Henry Fonda and and Catherine Hepburn when she talks about the color lilies are in bloom again. Such a wonderful (laughs) opportunity. Was this kind of a life-changing experience for you then? It was. It was It was an absolute dream of mine. We had vacationed up here for years and years. Sometimes I would cry when we had to go home because I just, I loved it. I just saw so 
so much that just spoke to my soul. I would say it definitely changed me in that I wasn't a high-profile job. I still had to work and make a living, and I still hit the wall on some things. I mean, even though I got to live in this small northwest town, but it definitely made me a more peaceful person, definitely brought me closer to the Lord, and I treasure this experience in this world. I just feel very, very fortunate and blessed. If you've just joined our conversation, Susan Walters with us tonight. We're talking about her delightful new book called At the End of the Ferry. It's an opportunity to really kind of escape from the madness and get reconnected with the simpler, finer things in life. And in many ways to recognize that even as we often in day-to-day living as we're heading to and from work and stopping the kids off at uh, soccer practice, going by and picking up uh, groceries at Safeway or Costco and getting home and paying the bills and the water heater is leaking in the garage and, you know, all of that stuff that we go through that at the end of the day, sometimes we need to make an intentional decision to disconnect from that. Step away, as Susan suggests, maybe walk out into the backyard and just contemplate for a moment the honeybee busying its work around the blossom of a tree and recognizing the interdependence that those two have with each other, that the tree does not bring forth fruit save the pollinization job done by the honeybee, and that, in a sense, the life is of, of that fruit tree is dependent upon the honeybee as much as we, oftentimes not aware of God's presence, but nevertheless must depend on his presence for very life itself, our very breath every single day, to pause for a moment and ponder the wonder of the ability to inhale and exhale, and the joy that that brings. All inside the pages of this new book, and we're going to talk more about life at the end of the ferry with Susan Walters as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Truth be told, I could just sit and listen to that for the balance of my life and never complain. Susan Walters getting just such an experience detailed inside the pages of At the End of the Ferry. The book, by the way, is available on the web. You can check it out at christianreading.com forward slash S Walters, W-A-L-T-E-R-S. Or you can order the book by calling toll free 866-909-2665. That's 866-909-2665. As we move back to your story, Susan, I would imagine there must be times when there's this sense of God sort of through nature vigorously shouting, I'm here, I made all this, and I love you. Do you feel like that at times? (laughs) Absolutely. It's pretty incredible and it's hard to describe but you you know it in your heart and you would never want to give it up and by the way Craig I have your constant comment ready with two lumps of sugar and some lemon oh fantastic (laughs) I'll be right there (laughs) it is definitely showing me how God is omnipresent he's there he's there he's in nature it gives you a peacefulness and it allows you to be still and know that he is God it's um, really really a treasure When you walk out on your front porch and you're surveying and kind of taking in everything around you, do you have times, Susan, when you wonder, 
how can an atheist be an atheist? And I ask that huh. question because you, you look at all of this, and, and to me, in so many ways, it shouts God's glory and God's presence. Absolutely. We had a butterfly bush and never had one of those before, and the, the spider ate the butterfly. You see these things and you say, this just can't happen, just man didn't do this, you know? And it's really more than you can comprehend, and sometimes I don't have the words for it, but that's why I journaled it. I thought, I have to tell this story. Every day I have to write down, because every day the Lord is showing me something that is so spectacular and so miraculous and that only He could do. And it's definitely brought me closer to Him. What about the town, too? I would imagine as much as this has been kind of a life-changing experience for you to turn off the, the din of the madness and allow God to have His way. Are people different, too? Do you see it affected in the lives of people around you oh, as well? Oh, absolutely. And they love to talk about nature. They love to talk about wildlife. If they saw a great blue heron nest or they saw an osprey get kicked out of a nest because the eagle wanted it, you know, they'll, they talk about nature. They talk about wildlife. It's just very common. It's just... Very casual. Um, the people no, no, you're not going to tell me people do things like bake cookies and rolls and bring them <laughs> piping hot over to your house, are you? Absolutely. You know, very giving, very into each other and neighborly. And they bring me bouquets of flowers they grew in their garden. You know, I bake um, homemade cinnamon rolls and the neighbors know about those. And they know about my granola chocolate chip cookies. And we um, share things or blueberries or raspberries. You know, when it's the season, we take them to each other. And it is a fun, small town. It's special people. It's um, Santa Claus rides on the fire truck through the neighborhood and throws candy at the kids, you know, <laughs> at Christmas time. And it has a lot of uh, very, very special things. Must do a lot in terms of renewing your sense of hope for this country, too. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. It's uh, people care about each other. You know, these people care. They get involved. They're not out in the boonies or anything like that. I mean, we're a half-hour ferry boat ride from Seattle, so we're right near the city. They know their neighbors. We get together as neighbors. We'll have um, dinners where we go one house to the other, and we care about what's going on in the world, and we care about what's going on in our town kind of see this this circle happening here where you get away from the madness the outdoor grows bigger and as it does so it ends up amplifying the voice of god now you get closer in your relationship with him and then after a season the outdoor gets smaller and friends and people and the things in life that really matter get bigger do they it's definitely about values it's definitely about loving your neighbor as yourself to treasure one another and care about one another, and then, then you care about the bigger picture, too. So many of the chapters, and I'll mention to listeners, this is an easy read. It's a delightful read. It's one of those reads where you pick it up over the cup of coffee or tea or two or three. Uh, you, <laughs> you really fly through page by page, put it down, and then set it aside for a day or two, and then come back and say, you know, I need to get away again. And you pick up the book and you start, and every chapter leads you into something new. I've read the book through, and then in preparation for our conversation today, started to go through it again. And I was struck, mm -hmm. you talk in there one point, I think it's somewhere along the month of August or, or September, it's, it's getting into the fall season, and you talk about a squirrel. And I thought, <laughs> what an escape for those of us in the big city, where the biggest thief in the neighborhood doesn't have a rap sheet a mile high, but rather, in your case, has a, a pile of acorns a mile high, you know? <laughs> this squirrel actually took the tomatoes I was growing and dried them up on our rooftop, you know, to <laughs> eat them. You know, so, you know I, I don't know. It's, it's just fun seeing uh, nature do its thing. It is a mental vacation, definitely. And in fact, an attorney friend from Seattle told me that 
it's really kind of caused him to just, you know, stop and pay more attention to what's going on you know, around. And, and but, when friends and family come in from the big town, Seattle, to visit, are they astonished after a while there at your home, Susan, that, that flowers have names? <laughs> Well, they really do have names. I mean, that that came from the nursery with that name, you know. I mean, they love to come here. Even my brother and my four nephews and nieces and his wife live in Seattle, and they love to come over here. It's a different world. It is a slower world. It's a beautiful world. I get calls from North Carolina relatives and friends from Tennessee from asking to come visit and they love it. It's it's refreshing. It's very special. I feel very, very blessed. I, just hearing you describe it, I, I can smell mulling spices <laughs> and the apple cider on the stove. <laughs> You're right. And you and you replaced that stove, I understand. I understand that you had a little visit from the fire department. The old uh, <laughs> yeah. oil stove finally finally gave up the ghost, so to speak. You still have, you know, you, you, you talked about water heater leaking, things like that. You know, you still have real life things happen. And yeah, the fire department came and that old stove had to go. Your heating system up here, by the way, is really special. You know, wood burning or little potbelly stoves. One of the things men that have read my book like is the story about the egg man, that we go to an egg ranch to get our eggs, and a lot of people sell things, honey. So we go to their house and get our honey, or we go, of course, farmer's markets, which you guys have down there too. But this egg man, he lives down this windy road past two ponds, and it's always something exciting in those ponds, Siberian snow geese or waterfowl or... Today I, I saw, I couldn't tell if it was a coyote or a fox, actually, but this egg man, and he's got an old refrigerator, an outbuilding, and it functions as just an old refrigerator, and we just go help ourselves, and, and we went down there, and we got our eggs, and the dormer window of this old brick house opened up upstairs, and I see this man in his plaid pajamas leaning out the window, and he said, are there any eggs? Are we out of eggs? And we said, no, we got them, and he kind of laughed. I think he went back to bed, and we didn't realize it was before 6 in the morning. I had been writing all morning, early morning and night, and didn't realize the time it was. And we just have experiences like that. Well, the fact that you can inter- interact with people in that kind of a fashion, you know, kind of pays tribute to to an older and simpler time in America, a time that most of us thought had kind of slipped through our fingers like the, the sands going through the hourglass. And yet, what a delight and relief to know that, that places like this still exist, and they still exist here in America. And people like Susan Walters are able to write about those experiences and share them then with all of us. And and I think in many respects, beyond just, Susan, your reflection of life on the Puget Sound and and the ability to hear and see God in in so many ways maybe is not so obvious to the person in the, you know, uh, traffic lines, smog-clogged city streets that we have in, in the urban areas. It's been for you, I would imagine, an opportunity to almost kind of evangelize the word that God is still alive and well and his creation all about us shouts his glory. Absolutely. Definitely a simpler life and definitely values that I think that loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves that's the greatest command and we're, we're really able to do that and people see it katie who wrote on the back of my book is a young woman i've been mentoring and she it's really you know changed her life she knew the lord but she really wants to walk closer with him and she's got three little boys and she's she's a, actually a meteorologist in phoenix arizona and it definitely has an impact. It does. It overflows. It definitely overflows. That's my hope that the book will bring joy to people, help them to see 
that even in the tough times, and there are tough times right now in the economy and people are losing their homes and things, and that it will really bring them closer to the Lord and um, help them to see what, what's really valuable. And, you know, as you point out, oftentimes the, the greatness of the wonder of God's love for us is not in the castles built by man, but might be as simple as stepping out in the backyard and looking at the interaction between, uh, you know, the bee and the tree, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and just be able to witness God's love for us firsthand in things that we oftentimes look right past, don't we? Absolutely. Just the peacefulness of mind and soul. And I I know, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength is one of my favorite verses. And I just think um, to have a quiet and peaceable life is very rich. And it doesn't have to be money or riches. And it can be a pot of petunias on your little patio. For all of us that would like to be able to get away and to reconnect with God, I think this, in, in very simple ways, accomplishes that. The book, again, is called At the End of the Ferry. And you can get more information about ordering it by calling 866-909-2665. Again, 866-909-2665, or online, as I say, at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters. Now, many in the audience will know your husband, and I'm, and I'm fearful to let the cat out of the bag only because the phone will be ringing off the hook with reservation requests. <laughs> so uh, we sure appreciate, though, Susan, you taking some time to uh, share your story and your experiences with our listeners here tonight in Northern California, and most delightfully to, in a sense, uh, open your heart and your lives and your home and the bounty of God's created world there in the Pacific Northwest uh, inside the new book. And I just urge folks, you looking to get away? Boy, here's an easy way to do it that'll get you away and get you back to God at the end of the ferry. And Susan Walters, thanks so much for the time, Susan. Thank you, Craig, so much. Take care. Always a delight. Take care now. And again, I'll remind you, the book newly published by Zulon, you can get it online at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters at the end of the ferry. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.